please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Hi, this is Greg McIntyre with McIntyre Elder Law, helping seniors protect their assets and legacies. And I wanted to literally read to you a recent article that I'd written. I've been doing a lot of work in the guardianship space and kind of some fighting some hardcore, um, just really, really contested guardianship cases with elder adults and their family members, and which could all be avoided if we had in place proper general durable power of attorney, healthcare power of attorneys, you know, proper estate planning and uh, elder law planning ahead of time, by the way. Um, however, um, that didn't happen. So, I, I, you know, I've, I've worked on, I published an article that I was simply going to read to you today um, called Our Guardianship Proceedings Constitutional in North Carolina and Why You Should Be Concerned. And these, this, these are just some of my thoughts coming out of these guardianship hearings and issues and some issues that I have with guardianships um, and, uh, and the difference in how guardianships are treated as opposed to other types of cases. And I think it's a big deal. Um, I think it's a really big deal. And I think it could affect you and your family if you don't have proper pre-planning in place, like general durable powers of attorney, healthcare powers of attorney. If people just knew how easy it was to avoid that, um, then they could avoid these things. Um, our guardianships proceedings constitutional in North Carolina, why you should be concerned. Instinctively, we are somewhat geared to trust the government, the government and the courts, especially in the United States and North Carolina, are set up to help us, right? Not necessarily in the case of guardianships in North Carolina. It is odd to think that in this day and time, there may still be court proceedings that have questionable constitutionality. But this article proposes and examines that the way guardianship hearings are conducted especially for elderly adults, are unconstitutional on several grounds. Guardianships on North, in North Carolina are governed by the NC, by NC General Statute Section 35A. A guardianship hearing is one in which the competency of an individual is being questioned. If this person is found incompetent, a guardian will be appointed to make the health care decisions, financial decisions, or both of that individual's um, uh, or both for that individual, um, so both financial and healthcare. So just as an aside, that's why you can take care of those things ahead of time with healthcare powers of attorney or financial powers of attorney, also called general durable powers of attorney, and appoint, appoint who you want. Guardianship hearings in North Carolina are closed or private hearings. Only parties to the action and interested parties are allowed in the hearing. Parties to the action include the petitioner, respondent, and the guardian ad litem, or GAL. The petitioner is the party that brought the action to pursue guardianship over another individual. The respondent is the person for which guardianship is being sought. Finally, the GAL is an attorney appointed to both represent the respondent and to be, in, and to be a fact finder and report to the court, make observations as to the competence of that respondent, and make recommendations as to who should be appointed as the guardian if the respondent is found incompetent. Those are generally bifurcated hearings or should be. Competency is found or not found and then a person 
is argued to be the the person who should be in charge of that person's personal decisions, healthcare decisions, or financial decisions. A petitioner may seek guardianship of the person, which is guardianship over the health care and personal decisions of the respondent. A petitioner may also seek guardianship of the estate, which is guardianship over the financial matters of the respondent. Additionally, a petitioner may also seek general guardianship, which grants guardianship over both the estate and personal matters of the guardian. Guardianship hearings in North Carolina are private, closed hearings that are not open to the public. For example, in most criminal trials, there is a public hearing that allows the public and press to observe and report. According to the National Constitution Center, in a discussion of how the U.S. Supreme Court has interpreted and applied the Sixth Amendment, and particularly the right to a public hearing, the court has enforced the public aspect of the trial right much more strictly. Criminal proceedings may be closed to the public and the media only for overriding reasons such as national security, public safety, or a victim's serious privacy interest. So that's what the courts have said. North Carolina guardianship hearings, on the other hand, are not subject to public oversight or public scrutiny. Logically, one would conclude that a closed court proceeding, like a guardianship proceeding, would require more constitutional safeguards to protect the rights of the respondent, but logic in this case would be wrong. Because of their confidential nature, there are very few statistics kept regarding guardianship cases. Therefore, it is difficult to quantitatively define the percentage of people found incompetent when a guardianship petition is brought. As an attorney who practices in this area of law, I can tell you that almost every guardianship petition results in a finding of incompetence and the GAL rather than than a hearings officer is actually in charge of that outcome. Here's why. Well, in charge of that outcome because, and I would have an aside here, I would posit that 95 plus percent, probably more of the time, the, the, the clerk that's over the proceeding only follows or follows the recommendation of the guardian ad litem, the GAL attorney. So really the guardian ad litem is in charge of that proceeding and what the outcome, not the clerk who's sitting ex officio judge as the judge in North Carolina. I compare guardianship to guardianships in North Carolina to criminal court proceedings because they both have the ability to strip away someone's freedoms. Subsequently, a criminal court proceeding has many constitutional safeguards and requirements protecting the rights of the accused, such as the Due Process Clause under the 14th Amendment, the Equal Protection Clause under the 14th Amendment, the supervision of trial by a judge who is an educated lawyer, trained in the rules of evidence and other critical areas that are crucial to conducting a fair and constitutional hearing. A jury appears who will weigh the evidence and decide guilt or innocence. The judge merely decides the length of the sentence. A public trial, not a closed proceeding, to ensure transparency and accountability. If the defendant cannot afford private counsel, then a criminal defense attorney will be appointed as a zealous advocate for the accused in a criminal in a criminal proceeding. The defendant is required to be present at trial. You can't just have a trial without somebody there and take and put them in jail. You can't do that. But in a guardianship hearing, you can essentially. You can take away all their rights and freedoms. You can even own property and still operate property from jail as a private individual in a criminal 
proceeding. But you can't do that in a guardianship proceedings. You lose all rights to do that. Medical evidence cannot simply be written on letterhead from a doctor with no right to cross-examine your accuser. So Sixth Amendment, you know, you have evidence in a guardianship proceeding that could be just a doctor's note on letterhead saying that someone's incompetent. That person doesn't have to be there and doesn't have, obviously, the right to cross-examine the doctor or whomever else who's just submitting a letter, dialing it in, and not showing up at court. So these safeguards are in place in the criminal sense because the stakes are high. The accused is facing the loss of personal freedoms, life in prison, or even death. To compare in a guardianship hearing, a GAL is appointed to investigate the situation, question all parties, and report to the court. There are in no way a zealous, they are in no way, the GAL is not a zealous advocate for the respondent. In fact, the duties of the GAL are deeply conflicted. How can one attorney both zealously represent the respondent and um, his or her best interest, the respondent's best interest, the person that is on trial, so to speak, for, for competency or incompetency, while simultaneously acting as the courts in reporting their perspective on whom should be appointed as the guardian of the respondent and when, if and when, the respondent is found to be incompetent. An assistant clerk is in charge of the hearing, not a judge who is an attorney. A clerk may have any level of education and experience and is generally not an attorney and certainly not an elected judge, but in practice, the assistant clerk is not in charge of the hearing. The GAL is. A clerk sides with the GAL and rubber stamps, generally, the GAL's recommendations for guardian the majority of the time. So in reality, the GAL makes that decision, not the clerk or the hearings officer. That's practically how it happens. Because of this relationship, these hearings are rigged in such a way that the respondent is almost always found incompetent. The respondent is simply walked through the process without a second thought. The respondent doesn't even have to be present. All rights and freedoms can be removed in this hearing, just like a person found guilty of a crime and facing life in prison. Yet the guardianship hearing was not presided over by a judge and they weren't even brought to trial. Even a convicted felon and facing life in prison may retain ownership and control over property. Unlike the respondent in a guardianship proceeding, they are often housed in a facility and chemically imprisoned for the rest of their lives. If you put someone in a nursing home bed and chemically, by pills, you know, by, by medications, restrain them for the rest of their lives. What's the difference in that and iron bars? That's what I'd ask you to consider. Is this equal protection under the laws? Can this be constitutional? Guardianship hearings do afford an option for a jury trial as follows. Section 35A-1110, right to jury. The respondent has a right upon request by him, his counsel, or his guardian ad litem to trial by jury. Failure to request a trial by jury shall constitute a waiver of the right. The clerk may nevertheless require trial by jury in accordance with General Statute 1A-1. Rule 39B, Rules of Civil Procedure, by entering an order for trial by jury on his own motion. The jury shall be composed of 12 persons chosen from the, the county's jury list in accordance with the provision of Chapter 9 of the General Statutes. 
But how often are jury trials demanded in a North Carolina guardianship proceeding? Question mark. Rarely ever. That's the answer. I would estimate less than 1 in 100 guardianship cases are tried in front of a jury, if that, by the way. A jury trial may be requested by the petitioner, respondent, and or the guardian ad litem as the parties to the action, or by the assistant clerk or hearings officer presiding over the hearing. I would tell you that in guardianship cases that I've had, I've actually had a guardian ad litem talk to me and tell me with like being braggadocious that they had never, in hundreds of guardianship cases they had presided over as a guardian ad litem, they had never yet, never once had to try a jury trial. To me, that means you're walking someone through to incompetence, the clerk's rubber stamping your decisions, and that's literally from the cattle pen to the slaughterhouse exactly how it works, and you're leading them exactly there. That's what you're doing. That's what you're doing appointed as the guardian ad litem. It's not okay, in my opinion. Family members, unless they are the petitioner do not have standing to request a jury trial. Only a party to the proceeding may make this request. If the petitioner is Adult Protective Services, or APS, a division of the Department of Social Services, that's what APS is in North Carolina, under, under the supervision of the North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services, then they are adverse party, then they are the, ad, they are the adverse party to the respondent. So Adult Protective Services is actually the adverse party to the respondent asking that they be declared incompetent. While the family can be totally left out and treated as outsiders or offenders or wrongdoers and simply left to sit in the audience and don't have the right to call witnesses to submit evidence and do those things. So let me get back to reading. The APS attorney has no reason to ask for the jury trial and often has a very close working relationship with the assistant clerk conducting the hearing. The assistant clerk may never have presided over a jury trial as normally in this case. As normally is the case, sorry, can't read my own writing. If they have it, would, uh, if they have presided over a jury trial, it would be very few cases. And assistant clerks, again, are typically not trained or equipped to properly preside over a jury trial. The GAL, the guardian ad litem, rarely, if ever, requests a jury trial for the respondent, for the person that's on trial for competence. This brings into question if a GALs, uh, if GALs are actually acting as zealous advocates for the respondents, they are appointed to represent, or you know how can a seasoned GAL work hundreds of guardianships, guardianship cases, and never feel compelled? to request a jury trial for their client, ever. Would this fly in a normal criminal court? No, it wouldn't. It is cl a clear indication of a going through the motions mentality and attitude that is pervasive in guardianship proceedings in North Carolina courtrooms. The players are not fully to blame, however, as setup of uh, the proceedings weigh heavily toward a finding of incompetence. Just the way the hearings set up and the players tend more toward incompetence than competence, and I would compare that as to saying, in a criminal sense, it would be more toward a finding of guilty until proven innocent versus what we have, which is innocent until proven guilty. The players are very familiar with this process generally, and there is no player appointed as a zealous advocate for the accused only, the respondent who stands to lose all rights and freedoms. With their dual role, 
the guardian ad litem cannot be a zealous advocate for the respondent. The respondent may not even be at the hearing. Who is who is in place? Who is in place to challenge the petitioner or question the work of the guardian ad litem? No one. No one's set in place to do that. I have often questioned whether a guardian ad litem is even necessary in these proceedings. There is no guardian ad litem appointed to independently investigate in any other type of court hearings uh, where the parties do a great job of litigating the issues from which the judge makes an informed decision. Certainly, there's no GAL appointed in criminal felony proceedings where the accused stands um, to lose freedoms for years. A guardian ad litem is not a zealous advocate for the respondent like an attorney in a criminal proceeding. The guardian ad litem serves multiple roles, leaving the respondent without a true zealous advocate. Does a guardianship hearing adhere to the traditional rules of law and, and evidence? As previously discussed, an assistant clerk who is rarely an attorney and certainly not an elected judge is appointed to preside over a guardianship hearing. Imagine if a judge presiding over a criminal trial with a defendant facing life in prison stepped aside and asked an assistant clerk to sit in his place to preside over the hearing. This would be unprecedented. Civil rights advocates would be up in arms. Criminal defense attorneys everywhere would turn their attention to this one, tri to this one trial where an assistant clerk presided over a hearing where the defendant was facing life in prison. The country simply would not stand for it. Well, this is the reality in a guardianship hearing. The rules of law and evidence, which attorneys spend much of their lives, I'm sorry, much of their law school and legal lives learning and refining, are thrown out the window as an assistant clerk unfamiliar with the rules and certainly with the nuances takes the helm to preside over a similar hearing with the, with the highest of stakes, the loss of all rights and freedoms. What about an appeal, you may say? The case is appealable to superior court, but an appeal is rarely filed. The appeal for the competency part of the hearing is a de novo standard, meaning that there is a new trial on the issue of competence. However, for the portion of the hearing where a guardian is appointed, this is an abuse of discretion standard, which is a very hard burden to overcome. These cases are also ripe for ex parte communications, or communication that does not include all the parties with the presiding, presiding hearings officer or judge. This is strictly forbidden in the rules of professional conduct, but these types of hearing, le, hearings lend themselves to communication between the parties that all work, <coughs> that all work for or are appointed by governmental parties, except for the family, because the parties to the hearing often work closely together and see each other frequently. If there are no ex parte communications between the GAL, the assistant clerk, and the APS attorney, then certainly the appearance of impropriety stemming from the setup of the hearings and fre frequent proximity of the parties, this can leave uh, a private party or immediate family member who is not a party to the action feeling powerless, helpless, and hopeless as they grasp for straws Straws and a footing in a hearing that keep th keeps them at arm's length and, and leaves them out of the decision-making process for their loved one. The, institute, the institution of family is certainly the foundation for this country, in my opinion, and by and large, the human race. 
Families and family relationships should be exalted, revered, and respected. In North Carolina, guardianship proceedings, families simply are not shown that respect, um, especially if Adult Protective Services is involved. At that point, the family takes a back seat. And by back seat, I mean literally a seat in the audience. The immediate family members remain as interested parties, but are only allowed to sit in the audience of this closed hearing. They are not sitting as the petitioner, and they are not allowed to call witnesses, present evidence, or cross-examine witnesses. The state and all the other parties employed or appointed by it run the entire show. The family is essentially left out to be silent unless called upon. Why does the, doesn't the family have a say-so or, or grounds as a party? Since when did the state become more important than the family? It shouldn't be. Family must be held in higher esteem than, this, than the state, or we will witness the demise of our state and nation, which was built upon individual rights, freedoms, and family. In a criminal court proceeding, it would be unprecedented to hold a hearing without the defendant being present for trial. An accused has a Sixth Amendment constitutional right to cross-examine accusers and examine evidence offered against him. In a guardianship hearing, the respondent does not have to be present for the hearing and can be found incompetent with merely the submission of a doctor's note, leading to all rights being stripped away from him or her. Guardianships in North Carolina may present a case of civil rights violations. Federal law uh, protects individuals from discrimination or harassment based on the following nine protected classes, sex, race, age, disability, color, creed, national origin, religion, or genetic information. That was recently added. Do the North Carolina guardianship laws discriminate against individuals based on age? Guardianship cases in North Carolina certainly affect the elderly the most. They, I think they're disproportionately affected. And there's a disproportionate impact or disparate impact on them uh, more than other age groups. Therefore, there should be additional protections and safeguards to protect the elderly and their families in these closed and private proceedings. Guardianship is widely overused and should only be granted if the court cannot find suitable alternatives. The court rarely looks for suitable alternatives, even though there are plenty of alternatives to a full guardianship, such as limited guardianships, reviews, and assistance to help out the individual. The hearings the assistant clerk and the players are not fully to blame. They are merely doing their best to play their role and abide by the law. The sad truth is that the assistant clerk generally does not want the proceeding uh, to, I'm sorry, does not want to preside over these hearings and knows they are not equipped to do so. Yet, the guardianship laws of North Carolina are crafted in such a way that requires them to handle these cases. This is something that this attorney that I believe needs to change and none too soon. With the aging baby boomer population or silver tsunami, these cases are happening more and more frequently and will require more of the court's time and attention. The elderly will be even more disproportionately affected than they are presently, creating more of a civil rights issue than currently exists. How can we change the laws? How can you help? Great questions. 
One is for attorneys to keep challenging guardianships and the quirky rules um, and backwards procedures that happen there on a daily basis. The attorney can fight hard for the family and should do so without fear of reprisal from the assistant clerk, the GAL, or the Department of Social Services. These attorneys should appeal any erroneous rulings by the assistant clerk to be brought to light in front of the Superior Court judge. If the Superior Court judges don't make the right call or give the issues the proper time and attention, the attorney should appeal that ruling to the North Carolina Court of Appeals. Light is the best disinfectant, and bringing light to the attention uh, and attention to guardianship hearings in North Carolina is one way to challenge and change them, including in, in their appeals, included in their appeals should be the civil rights and constitutional grounds that are frequently heard by the Court of Appeals, which will certainly bring much needed attention to these closed hearings. The elderly certainly deserve property process and equal protection under the laws of the United States and the state of North Carolina, the same as any other citizen of any age in other courtrooms. As for me, I will keep fighting and keep appealing and enduring the gasp and gawks of others and other players in this game who wonder, what in the heck is he doing? So that was written by me. Um, sorry for stumbling through that, but I hope, uh, I hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, email me. Go to our website, mcelderlaw.com. Send us a message. Call us, and we'd be glad to help. Again, you can avoid a lot of these issues by simply having powers of attorney in place. General Dribble and Healthcare. Thanks and have a great day. Life is busy, we all know. We put off planning till things get slow. Tomorrow's never promised today. Don't get too busy and let it all slip away. Please don't wait till it's too late. Call McIntyre Elder Law. Foundational planning or more complex. Help when you're perplexed If a loved one needs long-term care We can help avoid some of the scare Please don't wait till it's too late Call McIntyre Elder Law Estate planning benefits and even probate We take the planning piece off your plate If you or your spouse were in the military We can help with benefits 